spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 116th annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody, and I'm German pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. Um, just another week. We, I guess, got to enjoy our, our uh, independence this last weekend. Um, did you do anything exciting? Uh, yeah, well, I kind of did. I went down to Santan Valley, hung out at my mom's house, and uh, we actually fried up some carne asada. It was pretty good. Oh, that does yeah. sound good. Uh, I just, I didn't do a whole lot. I did see my parents and then, uh, the rest of the weekend, I just kind of, uh, fixed up my bathroom in my home. So that is a 30 year old (laughs) man's, uh, for the July activity. So so that's a hell of a weekend for a middle-aged man like ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you what, I was tuckered out after that. Um, Phil, now depressing thing we need to talk about here i i have heard that your phoenix suns are in fact in the finals uh right yes. now have they played a single game yet they actually did uh they did play on tuesday night and they won so they're uh they're up 1-0 and then they play tomorrow night which is thursday so the night before this episode goes live they're gonna be playing again so we'll see if they if they win again it's pretty exciting. Problem is, I live in Mesa. I don't live in Phoenix. If I lived in Phoenix, I might kind of feel it better from like you know the people who live out here. It's kind of weird when you live in a, you know, not really in the city. You live in kind of like a suburb. You don't really feel it quite as well. I guess it's kind of like the difference between living in like Rochester compared to Minneapolis, maybe. Well, it's not that far. It, no, it feels. That's what I'm saying. It feels like it. Uh... It feels like you're living that far away. Well, if they win, I guarantee you probably uh, feel it throughout the city. Oh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of brand new fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a, lot of for- a lot of former Timberwolves fans. <laughs> the uh, They're playing the Bucks, right? Yep, Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. Well, I can naturally hate them because they are from Wisconsin. And as a Minnesotan, we you have to dislike Wisconsin sports. It's just kind of how it is. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, you can imagine if you go to those games, they probably sell some pretty good beer and brats and cheese curds. So, yeah, I'm I'm sure I am positive. Um, So is the city feeling pretty confident? Um, Well, the problem is, I guess all of the brand new fans are feeling really confident. But what I hear from uh, longtime fans, they are not feeling that confident because they're waiting for that other shoe to drop. So everyone's just kind of waiting for it. Hesitantly. You know, as a person who endures a lot of pain uh, from the Minnesota sports teams, you know what? Just accept it. Maybe that shoe is not going to drop, all right? Maybe you're just going to ride into victory here. That is true. Well, I uh, I actually just moved here five years ago. So, I mean, I only recently became a fan maybe 
like midway through the season when they got to like number two in the stat in the rankings, I should say. But I did hear on the radio that they held a parade for Charles Barkley and company back in the 90s when they got beaten by the Bulls. So I imagine they might do the same thing if they get beaten this year. Of course, <laughs> these this team isn't as, you know, well known as that uh, Charles Barkley led team. So I w- I'm just going to venture out and say the 2021 Bucks probably are not nearly as good as the superstar filled no. Bulls during <laughs> the 90s. Just going to say that. Yeah. The the thing, too, is if you were living in, well, Scottsdale, especially if you were living in Phoenix and partied in Scottsdale, you most likely met Charles Barkley in the mid 90s, early to mid 90s. So like crime and sports, if you listen to that, if they ever talk about Scottsdale or Phoenix or Charles Barkley, they always talk about like Charles Barkley and the Suns partying out in uh, in Scottsdale. So probably at a casino, you could find him as well. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of Suns fans, um, Phil, you want to take us on a journey here into the latest episode and see if we have some Suns fans we're going to be talking about. I don't know if there's any correlation, but I'm going to venture to say there might be. Not a drop of correlation, (laughs) Cody. So during the middle of the 20th century, stories of strange flying craft and even crash landings had begun making their way across popular media. Along with these sightings, giant and unprecedented leaps, giant and unprecedented leaps had been made in science and technological innovations. Conspiracy theorists wonder where such innovation could have come from, questioning whether the ideas that technology researched during World War II or possibly gained from the patriated scientists brought over from Germany during Operation Paperclip had been enough to explain the gallop forward and past American enemies and allies alike in research and development that had been achieved and began to connect the red strings together and look to the stars for answers. Oh, actually, this it brings up a good point about something we forgot to mention. Um, I was reading through the Pentagon's release of the UFO information. Remember, they yes. were supposed to do that. Um, yep. Very underwhelming. Very really? under- yeah. It basically just says there's like 150 documented cases, and they only have an explanation for one, but they're not. They don't necessarily believe, or they don't know what it is. But they yep. they a lot of times believe it might be either China or Russia's experimental uh, weaponry. Yes, yeah, that's kind of what we we mentioned it before. We discussed it in previous episodes. That we kind of thought that it was either going to be one of a few things. I thought it was kind of going to be just a huge information dump where they just dumped thousands of like boxes of, you know, letters, old memos, old notes, all of that crap. And it was all redacted so that you had to like search through everything just to find anything good. And I think you kind of thought they were going to do this where they just kind of gave you some information and then just said, we know nothing. Yeah. I mean, Essentially, they know as much as <laughs> any, any ufologist, really. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. It was very underwhelming. The other thing is, I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson's opinion on aliens. Oh, really? 50 n- I don't think he believes in them. Okay. Interesting. I don't think he does because he questions why, or he thinks a lot of like the the Navy 
um, ones that they released or whatever. He thinks those are uh, graphical errors on their computers or something. Okay. Well, I wonder if he believes in like any kind of aliens living out on any planet or if he just doesn't believe that they're coming to Earth. I think it's the latter. I think he doesn't think the ones we see here are from another place. I think he thinks like they exist out there. It's just he doesn't know why they would be like acting the way we perceive them to act where they're kind of like there and then disappear. And like the (laughs) the quality of the video is always like 2P, you know, just like two pixels. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So which is a good point. But anyway, continue on, Phil. I was going to say, I think I have heard him in an interview before where he did say that he thought there was alien life out there somewhere, but he doesn't think it's coming to Earth. So Yeah, yeah. So, as we've discussed before in previous episodes, President Dwight D. Eisenhower had allegedly met with different alien races during his presidency, though stories and accounts differ. First... While on a golf vacation in Palm Springs, California, having disappeared either before or possibly during dinner that night, Ike supposedly traveled to Edwards Air Force Base for a meeting with the Nordics to discuss terms to a peace treaty. And this was mostly to gain alien technology, though he did have to decline the offer as it called for an end to nuclear testing, which he felt was wholly unacceptable. Ooh, okay. Um, yes, I remember we we did cover this. Uh, very yes. fun episode, if you haven't listened to it. That's a whole lot of yeah. fun in that one. Um, yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a fun early episode. I mean, if we think about this now, it'd be great. If everybody would give up their nuclear technology, but uh, it's not going to happen. And especially during this time, the uh, Cold War stuff, not going to happen. Yeah, it seems like that Cold War bug is uh, slowly coming back with Russia and China kind of acting up outside of, you know, communist threats. Now they're national threats. Yeah. Nationalist governments, I should say. Yikes, that's not good. Yeah. So a second meeting had also allegedly taken place with the Nordics, this time aboard their spacecraft on the tarmac of Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico, though it was supposedly a later meeting with the alien species known as the Greys, which would actually see a treaty signed, uh, trading peace, autonomy, and alien technology for alien secrecy from the public, and also, most importantly, acceptable human abductions. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. yeah. So this is like, hey, you can abduct people, stick shit up their asses, jerk them off, steal their cum, (laughs) whatever you want to do. Steal their eggs. Yeah. Impregnate them with whosever sperm they wanted. Yeah, and also it dealt with supposedly Majestic 12 being given the names of the abducted humans. So still like every, every single one like that has been abducted. Yes. Well, supposedly that was part of this treaty, this supposed treaty that went on. Okay. So So even the creepy guy from love and saucers who apparently (laughs) has gotten, we'll just say sexually assaulted by an alien his, for his entire life. Have you watched this documentary? Uh, I believe I heard you guys talking about it. Maybe on between the bumbles. Yeah, you should watch it. It's per it's fun. It's a fun hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> I got one person to start watching it. Yeah. And 
she was literally like, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen in her life. <laughs> Just because of how cringy it kind of was. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I love to give it I love to give it a listen. I probably told you I was gonna listen to it like three times already. But yeah. Amazon Prime. It's on there okay. for free. It's on Prime. Now, along with these three supposed meetings with alien ambassadors, there is possibly another meeting that had been set up with the former president. This next meeting, though, which took place supposedly March 16th, 1957, happened when a large metallic saucer descended from the sky and landed in a field at a secluded farm just outside of Alexandria, Virginia. Now, before I get started, do you think you've heard of this story before? Okay. No, I I don't think so. Maybe as you keep going, I will know more. Uh, there is one thing paranormal that Virginia is known for, or actually West Virginia is known for, I think. But we'll we'll wait till we get there. I want to hear more of the story before before I let you know. Okay, I should say also Alexandria, Virginia, just outside of D.C. So not gotcha. far from D.C. Yeah. Okay, so this could have been where like the Capitol rioters met and before they raided the Capitol. Possibly. <laughs> yes. I, I assume there was a lot of, uh, a lot of cheap beer you, drank. And I was uh, going to say, yeah. you could just follow the trail of fucking, uh, chew spit <laughs> from <laughs> Alexandria all the way to the Capitol front door. Chew spit and misspelled Twitter fucking posts and <laughs> pregnancy shit like that. test. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> So (laughs) the police were called to the scene of the landed UFO flying saucer and allegedly two patrolmen responded to the call and upon arrival observed the large door to this spacecraft open and a bean descend out of the craft. Uh, Basically what I imagine is like a scene from maybe like when Barney Fife fumbles for his sidearm in the Andy Griffith show the, fa- the the patrolmen unholster their weapons and take aim at the visitors. However, what supposedly ascends from the metallic saucer is not what popular media culture of the time would have you imagine it to be. Instead, a six-foot-tall, very attractive, according to reports, human-looking male bean with brown hair and brown eyes emerges, smiling and waving at the patrolmen as if he was expecting to be greeted by old friends after a long trip or something like that. Like he just dropped off in Hawaii. Is this Dwayne the Rock Johnson? It could possibly okay. be. He, they said he's very tanned. Well, so, and very uh, built. There the you, those are two big check marks for Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's who it's sounding like. Like, I don't. It sounds very <laughs> human. What is the human doing in that craft? Yeah, exactly. Uh, very, very human-looking one. Apparently, um, he does have s- some minor differences with his body of like when you compare him to a human. But if you just looked at him like at a glance, you would just think it was a dude, basically. Right. So one of the cops didn't accidentally like fumble their gun and just like cap him, right? No, no, okay. that did not happen. It's not the two thousand. It's not the two thousands, and yeah. Well, I was gonna say Barney Fife. I think. He has more headshots that way than than any other way. Just, just he's trying to get his gun out of his holster and keeps spinning around and accidentally takes her head off. 
you may not have watched as many episodes of the Andy Griffith show. So Barney Fife had to keep his one bullet in his pocket so that he didn't accidentally shoot anyone when he pulled his gun out. Gotcha. Well, that was after all his massive body counts. <laughs> after the after the 15 towns people who he accidentally yeah. killed. He killed almost that whole small town. So I, I bet that's what happened to Andy Taylor's wife. <laughs> really? I haven't yeah. watched enough of it to know, like, I just know Barney Fife, Andy Griffith, and then... Opie. That's a little kid, right? Yeah. And then there's that one drunk who's always sitting in the jail. Yep, the drunk who lets himself into the jail every night. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember that guy's Otis. name. Otis. Otis. Yep, Otis. Otis is his name. There you go. So, all right, getting back. The alien tells the patrolman that it means no harm and requests a meeting with President Eisenhower as he has an important message for him. All of this conversation, though, with between the patrolman and the bean had taken place non-verbally and was actually conveyed telepathically. Along with that greeting, the alien also tells the patrolman his name. And that's where our episode begins today, as we discuss the alleged kindly alien visitor known as Valiant Thor. Oh, yeah, I've, de- I've heard this name before. Yeah, I knew you heard the name. You just might not have heard the story. Right. Everyone's kind of heard the name if you kind of looked into UFOs at all. Now, there is a very popular actual real documentary called um, Hellier. And I think they start getting into Valiant Thor and and stuff like that. Yeah, I actually have never watched it. I know that you, should, you guys were big into Hellier. You you should. If you ever get bored, definitely should okay. watch. I think they bring up Valiant Thor. That's about the underground caves and the abductions, right? Yeah, the Hop, Hopskinville Goblins. But then okay. they think they're aliens, and then the aliens lead to Ingrid Cold, which is connected to Mothman, and there's, there's Valiant Thor, and it just... There's okay. a lot of tentacles to it. All right. Yeah, I might have to give that a look. Apparently, the alien did not look hostile, and the police that had met him at the field did not fire upon him. Instead, they invited him into the back seat of their vehicle and took him to nearby Washington, D.C. Gotcha. Okay. You know what this honestly sounds like? It sounds like a wet dream of a MAGA boy, honestly. Like that's Trump coming out of there, and he's like talking to him telepathically. And he's like, take me to Washington, D.C. Put me back in the presidency. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so I was going to say really quick, I got the idea to do this episode. It was a pretty recent uh, ep- podcast episode um, I, where I got the idea from. But she actually had an idea, which I wanted to mention because I, I like wanted to say it, but I don't want people to think it's like my idea. So she actually wondered out loud during the podcast whether the alien visitor had maybe some kind of mind control in order to pacify the patrolman into just kind of submitting into its will. So that's kind of a really good idea there. I just didn't want to, like, you know, claim it for myself. Well, what if this sexy alien came out of there and he had a goddamn bag of uh, Dunkin' Donuts or something? You can get cops to do anything. They wouldn't have been going anywhere because they had just been eating them. I don't know if donuts were popular in the 60s or the was it the 50s. But. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It could be. I, I don't know. They get OK. Probably if it's a 60s in cops, then it'd probably be like Jameson whiskey or something like a oh, bottle yeah. of that. 
They're like, here, officers, drive me to D.C. I'm like, okay, we'll do that for a free <laughs> bottle of whiskey. For a pack of Winstons and a bottle of whiskey. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anything to get me away from my goddamn kids. <laughs> <laughs> So another interesting bit of information from the reading is that Valiant Thor was wearing an odd metallic gold uniform that apparently was form-fitting and upon later inspection was made out of an unknown fabric. They called it kind of like a silver gold type of weaving. Uh, It didn't have any seams, fasteners, or pockets. It was completely indestructible. They would later find out. Okay, are you sure this is a fucking gold dust? Possibly. It can, it does kind of sound like gold dust old outfit, doesn't it? Yeah, that's all I can envision now is <laughs> dusty roads in that disgusting outfit coming. Oh, my God. What a weird character. As he like humps on other wrestlers. Yeah. And shit, does all. Yeah. Yeah. Because they can't hurt yeah. him. His uniform's indestructible. Definitely. Attitude era pro wrestling. Hell the yeah. only good time. <laughs> Now, according to Frank Strangis's book, Stranger at the Pentagon, the patrolmen take the alien to the Pentagon, where he meets with the Secretary of Defense, along with six of the Secretary's staff members. The Secretary of Defense at the time was Charles Irwin Wilson, though some of the alien websites that I found actually wrongly claim that it was Neil H. McElroy, who actually wasn't sworn in until later on in 1957, in October of 57. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, the Secretary of Defense supposedly assigns six guards to the alien being, and he is taken to an underground train in the bowels of the Pentagon, whisked away to the White House. Now, strangely, according to Frank Strangis's book, the introduction that the alien had held in his hand though written in some unknown language, was somehow able to be deciphered by the people who had read it, as if they had been given that power telepathically. So, okay. So they know it's written in weird, in a weird language, but they're like, I can read this language. Does that make sense? Like, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of when you see the... Like on the internet, sometimes they'll have things written in English, but maybe they'll have the first and the last letter correct, but the middle letters will be, you know, all jumbled up. Even though all the letters in the middle are jumbled up, you can still kind of read it. It kind of reminds me of that, how you don't know how you're reading it. That's kind of the idea that I got from it. Almost like you shouldn't be able to read it, but for some reason you can. But apparently the letter he had in his hand, the greeting, was in some weird kind of uh, hieroglyphic lang- language, something like that. Some unknown, unseen. They've never seen it before. Are you sure this guy didn't just get like a, a Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> like <laughs> fan magazine or something? Because I, I think that's written in P- Pistonian uh, hieroglyphics. Yeah, written on written on old toilet paper and human feces yeah Yeah. you can't even read it back then you definitely couldn't read it definitely yeah no i have no idea about that but (laughs) it just it kind of like it kind of stood out to me when i was reading it it's kind of it's interesting yeah now the alien being ushered in by six government officials three secret service agents and the six armed guards assigned by the secretary of defense entered the oval office where president eisenhower was waiting behind his desk, standing 
as the bean entered the room. Mm, very poetic there. So right out of like a, a movie. Yeah, you can. I mean, it kind of like really does. It paints a picture and you can kind of like see it in your head. All of this happening. But I mean, it's just it's unbelievable how he just kind of immediately they just bring them all in kind of reinforces the mind control. Right. Uh, idea right. about it. When the bean extended his hand to shake the presidents, the Secret Service members in attendance, as you can imagine, were freaked out. They drew their pistols, though they were quickly waved off by Eisenhower as the president extended his hand for a formal greeting. Now, naturally, the statesman had questions for this odd visitor. Firstly, who are you and where did you come from? So Ike's Ike's kind of trusting of this guy. Yes. Well, I mean, trust but verify kind of situation, the you know, the whole military thing. So he's kind of I think he's 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 giving him a chance, but he definitely wants to know more. Uh, remember too, all he sees is just a, a normal looking dude in a weird outfit standing in front of him. So hmm. that's kind of the odd part. Um because he didn't actually take the phone call from the officers. He wasn't there when, you know, he didn't see the UFO when when Val showed up. That's what the, his nickname is, Val. Uh, when Valiant Thor walked out of the, the strange craft, he didn't see it. All he knows is they're bringing someone to my office. And he, he's well, probably an alien. Don't you think like a tan Latin looking man with Goldust's wrestling outfit <laughs> on might stand out a little bit? A little bit, yeah. It must be why they took him on the underground train. Yeah, I Back in the buttoned-up 50s, they didn't want to, you know, who's this, <laughs> who's this fucking weirdo going to the White House? Very true. Anyway, continue on. Valiant Thor, or Val, as Frank Strangers refers to him as, claims that he is from the planet that your Bible calls the Morning Star or Evening Star, to which Eisenhower asks, Venus? And Val replies, yes, sir. Interesting. I Venus, that's the one closest to the sun, right? No, it's no, on second the second closest. Second close, yeah. Ooh, this guy would be uh, burning up, I think. Yeah, no wonder he's tan. Yeah. But, yeah well, actually, actually, there's no sunlight that gets through, but it is hot as fuck. So, I mean, yeah, I there's a neighbor of mine. I see him every day sitting outside on his chair tanning. That man yep. is such a dark brown at this point. Ah. Holy shit. I don't know. He's trying to speed up his skin cancer. I don't know what he's doing out there. Yeah, it is funny. You can tell when someone is out of like an out of towner because they always come to town with this really like dark, dark tan, even though most of the people who live in the city don't go outside during the summer. We just kind of hang out in the A.C., yeah. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> I was also I was also gonna mention quick when he he mentions the Morning Star, it made me think of that great documentary Dogma. Isn't the Morning Star like Satan though? Yes, it is okay. Satan. It, All right. It, it's something uh, between Ben Affleck and Matt Damon that they talk about. So isn't that anyone seen Dogma? It's a great movie. It's a it's one of those uh, Kevin Smith movies. You remember uh, Sabrina? Isn't her dad something Morning Star? Yes, I, yeah. I don't. I've never watched the show. I've seen like snippets of it, and I. But I know her dad's. I don't, don't want to say Lucifer Morningstar, maybe or something like that. Yeah, there's also a show you can watch on Netflix called Lucifer. His last name is Morningstar too. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah. Of course, the president asked for proof of this claim, 
to which Val invites him to visit his spacecraft out in that field. Now, of course, Eisenhower refuses, explaining that there are security measures in place and committees to be consulted before anything like that request can be granted. Though, he does offer to let Val stay for a while and get better acquainted. Uh, So just as Ike was actually making this offer for him to stay, none other than Tricky Dick, Vice President Richard Milhouse Nixon, bursts into the room. Oh, shit. What's Nixon got to say? Oh, man. Well, I imagine when he fucking came in, he probably banged over all the furniture and, you know, maybe almost knocked him down. But without hesitation, Nixon shot out his hand to the visitor, treating Val more like a celebrity than an alien being standing right in front of him. Uh, He stated that you have certainly caused quite a stir for an out-of-towner. So Frank A. Strangis, he wrote this book, Visitor to the Pentagon, in 1967. So he kind of has a good, uh, he has a lot of nice things to say, let's say, about uh, Richard Nixon. Val thought Nixon was a sharp, quick-witted, and was proficient in his speech. Ooh, Val, I don't know, man. I don't, Yeah. maybe Val, because he's so tall, couldn't see that upper lip sweat, but (laughs) that's something to behold. Well, if he was nervous at all to meet Val, I'm sure it was a fucking downpour coming yeah. off that upper lip. <laughs> <laughs> so after Valiant Thor told the VP his name, Tricky Dick would tell Val that their people were verifying everything and that they had thought that the police officer who had called in the situation, Sergeant Young, had maybe gone crazy. Continuing on to say, quoting from the book, say, were you in that UFO flap over Washington? And this is most likely referring to the July 19th, 1952 Lights Over Washington incident, uh, which took place before the end of the Truman administration, ending with, you certainly had us all in a dither, if you were. Hmm. Okay. Um, Kind of a little callback. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. 1952 Lights Over Washington. That's that doesn't get talked about much. Yeah. Well, I mean, back then it was a huge incident. Yeah. I mean, it was in all the papers It, you know, they, they, I mean, fucking, they thought it was the Ruskies. So, it probably you know, one of those have been. Might have been. been. I mean, who fucking knows what it was? It might have been goddamn uh, <laughs> Obama. You know, yeah. Might have been goddamn Obama for Are we know. sure Valiant Thor isn't actually Barack Obama? It could be. I mean, if you look at the pictures of him, it doesn't look anything like him. But I mean, six foot tall, you know. He like loves gold dust. Skin. He, loves he loves gold go- dust. <laughs> if he was smoking uh, Marlboro Lights and drinking, what does he drink? He drinks Coors Light back then. Is it Coors or is he a Miller Light? No, it's Coors Light, I think. I think it's Coors Light. Yeah. Okay. It was uh, it was Marlboro Lights and Coors Light. Hell yeah. yeah. After the exchange of pleasantries, Valiant Thor tells the president and the vice president that he has been sent by the high council and is on a mission to convince the president that he should end nuclear testing and give up not only their nuclear weapons, but all nuclear weapons on Earth, claiming that they are not only a danger to the human race, but to all other alien races. Val also claims that this High Council's pledge is to help out less advanced races, of which, of course, he's referring to the human race, especially Ooh. people from Pittsburgh. Okay, yeah. They're extremely yep. uh, less advanced. No, yes. uh, so, okay, all right. I mean, honestly, 
can't say I don't disagree with them. Yes, apparently it's it's this body of uh, like alien races, kind of like in the movies. You know, there's this huge council of alien races, and they've they've sent Val, who is apparently a very influential leader on Venus, is what Frank Stranger says. Okay, all right, I could see that. You know, my theory was these aliens sometimes send like the dumbest person, like the dumbest yes. person in their society like valiant thor is probably a genius to us but he's like the dumbest one there and they're like yeah go ahead valiant go go tell him go save humanity there was actually a great episode of futurama where it turned out that leonardo da vinci was an alien and that the reason why he was on earth is because all of his uh his alien co-workers his peers thought he was an idiot because all of his inventions were so you know feeble-minded and made out of wood and so shitty but the humans thought they were all great so kind of one of those deals yeah yeah kind of goes along with that that could be valiant thor (laughs) possibly with the odd letter still quivering in his hand president eisenhower told val that he would not be able to comply with the high council's request and that he would not be able to tell his people about val the venetians or the High Council, as he feared that the American people could not handle that kind of information. And possibly, perhaps, he was thinking back to what the previous alien races had told him about keeping the knowledge of alien races secret, especially the Greys. So we're under the assumption this could have possibly been both incidences happened, right? Like he he met with the Greys or the Nordics or whatever, set up that treaty with them, and then this guy shows up and he's like, they warned me about people like you. Well, we're kind of suspending our, our disbelief. You know, we're, we're turning it down at the beginning of the episode. But yeah, I mean, it's if you really think about it, like if he did meet Valiant Thor, then in that same universe, maybe he met the Nordics and the Greys. So it's kind of one of those deals. Did he possibly have a treaty already with the Greys is kind of the deal I was getting at. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. Here's the other thing. If Valiant Thor is aware of the nuclear capabilities of humanity, right, all the places on Earth, shouldn't he also know that humanity has, like, a whole bunch of different countries that don't agree with each other about things and, like, you can't just have them all stop at once? Like, that is literally impossible. Yeah, pretty much. I mean... The way that Frank A. Strange or the way that Frank Strange is, is kind of describes it that he's just going to the United States because like at the time they're the most influential. The UN is in New York City. They're the most powerful military in the world, po- most powerful economy, that kind of stuff. So Gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah. Though well, I mean, though really at the time, late nineteen fifties, I don't really know if they were the most powerful at the time but definitely in the late 60s they were so it's one of those deals like is it when he's when he wrote the book is he kind of making it for his time or for the time before it's one of those deals you got to keep remembering he wrote this book in the 60s and you know kind of one of those deals right right after the meeting had ended the secret service escorted val back to the train and set him up in his own kind of like apartment in the pentagon Uh, This is when he took off his gold metallic uniform and allowed the government scientists to analyze it. Wow, he let him touch it, huh? Yeah, 
apparently he basically allowed the scientists to kind of analyze it, test it, try to destroy it, and they couldn't do anything to it. And apparently he knew they wouldn't be able to do anything to it or reproduce it. Interesting. Okay, I guess I would give him enough reason to let him touch it then. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Gotcha. So it might seem like this is the moment where Valiant Thor would be taken prisoner. Though apparently Val would kind of just come and go as he pleased. Also, he would keep in constant contact with his spacecraft, even teleporting himself to the saucer whenever he pleased. Also, Val would actually help out the scientific community by helping to advance American medical projects that were going on at the time. So basically, that's kind of part of his mission is just to help humanity in like really just non-military ways. The problem is the American government wants that military help. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. definitely. I mean, so I'm going to kind of jump into something now. This is where the story is going to start to get a little bit wonky, even more (laughs) than it already is. Okay. And the the inevitable, of course, moment uh, is bound to rear its ugly head. Yeah, of course. It's got it. When when it comes to UFOs, you're going to always have an of course moment. Yeah. Now, according to the book, Valiant Thor did not actually show up to Earth alone. He actually had some crewmates with him. Uh, These three crewmates, Jill, Don, spelled with two N's, and Tanya, spelled with an I for some strange reason, Hmm. go to a party that was held for UFO enthusiasts in which Strangest claims that Val and his crew thought that they were the people at this party really on to something. And he was upset with the way that the media had treated the believers in extraterrestrial alien races. Also, it was at this party that Val and his crew would dazzle guests with their verbal abilities. And uh, this was the ability to speak fluently in any language asked of them. Now, there's like different, you know, little, little internet sites. There's one internet site I found that said that he could basically speak any alien language or any language on Earth. There's also ones that I found that said he spoke over 100. So over 100 languages. He spoke over 100. Yeah. Him and his crew, the Venetians. Okay. okay I'm just going to throw this out there. This feels like an of course moment already. Just because think of it. They're like, oh, the alien came and saw us, the UFO enthusiast. And he was like, you guys are really on to something. You know, it's this is like blowing yourself kind of. Yeah, this is, I mean, especially that part where he talks about how believers are being treated by the media so poorly and he feels bad for the, you know, all these UFO believers, which Frank Strangis is obviously a believer yeah. who gets treated very poorly <laughs> uh, in the media. So, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a, uh, okay, all right, all right. Yeah. All that's right, buddy. just that's just stage one of the Ooh, of course moment. Okay, so keep them coming. The big one, the big one is coming on a little bit later. All right, so keep them coming. It was at this party at the High Bridge, New Jersey farm of Howard Menger, who was a sign painter who claimed to be a lifelong alien abductee. That photographer August C. Roberts actually snapped a picture of. The four aliens. Uh, I basically, I'm going to put that in the Instagram post, but for Cody, I have it just below this paragraph. Okay, so I'm guessing the first picture. 
is the black and white picture is of just the three of them. This is the one that was in the book. So this looks like uh, kind of a cute girl and yeah. then a man with really thick eyebrows, or at least it looks like it. And then the other Very guy, thick. I don't, I don't know. He just, it's kind of blurry, but he looks like he's got a, he kind of looks like Chris Hardwick a little bit. Yeah. So the attractive blonde, her name is Jill. Okay. That's She's one Jill. of the crewmates. Okay. The the guy in the middle with the thick eyebrows, his name is Don. That's Don. He looks like a Don. Yeah, and then Valiant Thor is on is at the very end. Well, he, with his hands crossed in front of him. He's the guy who looks like Chris Hardwick kind of. Yes. Yep, a little bit. Gotcha. So I did find I did find one kind of alien uh believer site which was trying to claim that Don was Valiant Thor's brother. For some reason, it's the only site that I found that claimed that. But it's kind of weird how people kind of like take this story and make it their own. It's a little weird. I mean, like that, repur- that's, you know. U- that's UFO shit for you, honestly. I know it's so it's it's they they take that like that main story and then they just kind of like build on it, like build their own right. little fictional deal on it. So, right. I mean, all of this really I'm I'm going to talk about it a little bit more at the end. So. Um, the Day the Earth Stood Still was kind of a really influential movie during the early 1950s, and a lot of people draw parallels from that movie to this story. That's kind of where they think that like the crux of this story came from. Could definitely so, see it. I could see yeah. it. I kind of I I blew the ending a little bit there, but it's it's worth mentioning that a well, lot of people in the you know. A lot of people kind of like take this story and try to make it their own a little bit. So I don't think I've seen the original, but I've seen the Keanu one. Um, yes, yep. yeah, I've seen both. Oh, yeah. you have? Okay, all right. Yeah the the uh, the original is actually a classic. It's it's actually watch worth. It's it's actually worth watching. It's pretty good. All right, well, let's check it out. Now, according to Frank Stranges, uh, like I mentioned before, Jill's on the left, Don is in the middle, and Val is on the right, though. I did find another picture on Google Images, kind of halfway down the page, that possibly has Tanya in it. Uh, so if you go down to the picture just a little bit below this paragraph, she's maybe the brunette between Don and Valiant Thor. Now, one of the problems I have with this picture is that supposedly the Venusians, like Frank Strange just mentions, have six fingers and six toes. Though in this picture, you can see that Jill and Val have five fingers on their hands. Yeah. They just kind of look like normal 50s humans, if I'm being honest with you. They look like government men accompanied by their wife or girlfriends. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what it, it's exactly what it looks like. I mean, she totally looks like a like she could be just a 50s housewife, like the Stepford wives. Yeah. Doesn't she? Like, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of mean to say about a you know person, but it's exactly what she looks like from that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I. If you saw this picture, you wouldn't assume there's anything special about him. No, you would assume that maybe he's a possibly like a CIA agent, something like if if I showed you this and said these people are important, you'd be like, that guy either looks like he's maybe something like an advisor to the president or possibly like a government scientist or something. He kind of has that look to him. Yeah. He has that G-man look to him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Totally agree with that. Definitely. 
So that photographer, August Roberts, got into touch with Frank Strangis, supposedly, and showed him the pictures that he had snapped of the Venusian crew, explaining to him who he claimed that the people in the picture were and where that they had claimed to be from. Now, Strangis would keep those pictures, even showing them off at different talks that he was giving. Oh, yeah. I should also mention at the time that Frank Strangis was writing a book in the late 50s called Saucerama or Flying Saucerama. Interesting. Okay. It it sounds like a fucking restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like a restaurant in Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, absolutely. At this point in the story, it mostly turns into what Frank Strangis experiences when and after he supposedly meets Valiant Thor. Okay. Now, according to Strangis, Valiant Thor wanted to meet him, Mm. of course, Mm -hmm. and had discussed with one of the only good and open-hearted people who had a love for Almighty God, her country, and her fellow man, how Valiant Thor wanted to meet Frank Strangis. And she worked inside the government at the Pentagon along with Valiant Thor. Okay. All right. This is getting juicy. Yep, definitely. Now, her name was Nancy Warren. Uh, They would actually formulate a plan for Val and Frank to have a possible meeting. Now, to do this, she actually went to a lecture that Frank was giving at the National Evangelistic Center, where he was sharing his theory that extraterrestrials were connected to the Bible. And while he was signing copies of his new book, Saucerama, which had been actually published at this time later on, Nancy got his attention with her Pentagon badge. Basically, she just kind of walked up to him and flashed it, and that was enough to stop him in his tracks from signing books. Gotcha. She asked if he would like to meet the man in those photographs that he has been showing to everyone. Strangest gave her a resounding yes, and she gave him instructions to meet her on the curb in front of his hotel at 8 a.m. the next morning. Okay, so is Sasurama is a book connecting aliens to the Bible? Well, the thing is, so Sasurama... I kind of have a review little snippet from it. Uh, Renowned contactee and friend of Valiant Thor, the stranger at the Pentagon, discusses some of his favorite and most baffling cases from the history of ufology. So this that that little snippet was written after the whole Valiant Thor situation came about. Okay. Basically, it's just baffling cases from the history of ufology. It's not really, I don't think, that much about the Bible and UFOs as much as his later books are going to be. But his talks are definitely about UFOs and the Bible. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, he's already lost some validity from me, but uh, continue (laughs) on here, Phil. So I should also mention too, um, basically Strangest made a lot of like, like big claims, a lot of tall tales about himself. He claims that he had just actually before he had met Warren, gotten back from meeting Fidel Castro in Cuba. Uh, That was in late 1959, actually before Fidel Castro had taken full power of Cuba. Gotcha. Okay, well, I guess Mr. Strangest is quite an important fellow then, if we believe a word he says. True. Yeah, definitely. The next morning, he meets Nancy, and she drives him straight through the security gates, past all of the guards, 
uh, really, he was amazed. He thought they were going to get arrested for what they were doing. He did not have a secured area badge or anything like that, though he did claim that the guards would actually look at his shirt lapel as if he did have an official badge on. Nancy then left him in front of a door with no markings on it at all. He went inside. There were three government men inside, just kind of like working, going along with their business. Uh, They really didn't give him much attention at all. It's almost as if he didn't walk into the room, period. Uh, Later on, he would learn that Val had actually clouded their minds so that they would not see him walk in. Okay, I okay. So this kind of goes back to the if he can do that, he can do the mind control probably. Yes, yeah, he so along with like part of his clouding the mind superpower is he can also make people see things as if um say he wants someone to think that he like that that Val is wearing a secured area badge on his chest. Kind of one of the things is Kind of one of the things is he thinks that he was able to get through security because Val had imprinted an image of a secured area badge on his shirt. Okay. Well, that's just his theory. Well, I mean, the whole thing is his thoughts. Okay. Really. Okay. But you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. The thing is he he claims that Val can basically just make people think they're seeing something. Okay. All right. Now, a man would walk into the room. Six foot tall with brown hair and brown eyes, which Frank claims smiled and greeted him by name, extending his hand in friendship. Frank claims that when Val looked at him, it was as if he looked right through him. Okay, I know we know that feeling. Definitely. Yep. Everyone, uh, I assume everyone's met someone like that. Yep. They're usually the crazy person at the bar. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Or a bus station or an airport or something like that. <laughs> Where crazy people hang out. Now, this is where it uh, it gets really fun again. Hell yeah. So Val, after showing him the spacesuit that he was wearing, obviously, I guess he must have put it back on, and uh, how metallic it was and how it didn't have any fasteners on it, Val told Frank that part of his mission here on Earth was actually to help mankind return to the Lord, and that mankind was further away from God than ever before. But there was still a chance for us to go into the right direction. Also, that Jesus Christ would not actually force men to return to him, and that he had already given mankind a route to redemption, of course, through the shedding of his own blood. Ah, yikes. Okay. Um, well, I told you the big, of course, moment was coming. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, we can say now, judging by how 2021 has gone. Valiant Thor is probably <laughs> quite upset about how far we've drifted from God. Definitely. Yeah. If he listens to this podcast, he's going to be pissed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, basically, this meeting lasted about 30 minutes, uh, Strangest Claims, and basically saying that Val had told him things about himself that he didn't even know. And he would actually later have to confirm these things that Val told him with his parents. Also, there were things that Val told him about his home planet, Venus, which he claimed had the gravitational pull of about 320th that of the Earth. So it actually doesn't. Venus has a gravitational pull of about 91% of the Earth. The planets are actually very similar in size and mass. 
though at the time of writing this book, I don't think that they had actually had a Russian probe out. I don't think that they had actually had like the probes out to go and get readings back from Venus like we have today. So kind of the things like you were saying, how Venus was really hot. Uh, there was actually a probe that the Russians sent, Venera 7, to the surface of Venus. And it found out that surface temperatures were 475 degrees Celsius, which is about 885 degrees Fahrenheit. It's a little toasty. Yeah, definitely a little toasty. <laughs> uh, I kind of, uh, about the gravitational pull thing, I learned in a science class. I don't exactly remember how it goes, but I'm pretty sure that you need a, like, in order to get the mass and the gravitational pull of a planet, there needs to be some kind of satellite in orbit around it. So I don't think Venus actually has a satellite, like a moon, that orbits it. So I think that they actually got it from the probe that they sent around Venus is how they figured out what its mass and what its gravitational pull was. Okay, okay, I gotcha. It's, gotcha. it's like Newton's second law or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. If you I'm know, sh- yeah, send I'm an sh- angry send an angry email, <laughs> not an angry review. So there we go. Continue on, Phil. So one thing that troubled Frank was that Val didn't actually have any fingerprints. To which he said, "All men were actually marked with fingerprints since the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden." Also, Val told him that Jesus was actually a living being and was the ruler of the universe and that he was preparing a place above the clouds for believers to go, where his power and authority would never be disputed. This was, of course, very convenient information for Frank. As I mentioned before, uh, he actually already believed in uh, quite a few things that were like this. As a topic of his speaking book tours, uh, flying saucers, he believed were actually angels sent by God. He would cite the Bible uh, Ezekiel story of a wheel within a wheel. Mm, okay, yes, this definitely is what we would refer to as a of course moment. Um, yeah. yeah, all his beliefs are being validated by Valiant Thor. Um, interesting that Jesus is the master of the universe and not like his dad. Yeah, apparently it's because Jesus is, uh, well, obviously, I mean, it would must mean that Jesus, after dying, just kind of ascended, you know, into space again or whatnot 2,000 years ago, if you believe he existed. But right. maybe it's because God is kind of like, you know, a supernatural, like, not living being. And Jesus, he believes, is a living being. That's why he's the ruler of the universe. Like a physical ruler of the universe. Like like Barry Satiro. Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes more sense. When you say it's like Barry... Yeah, like Barry Satira. Gotcha. Now, okay, gotcha. So after his meeting with Valiant Thor had concluded, Frank Strangis left the room, wondering if he should ever tell anyone about this encounter that he has had with this strange alien. However, after thinking about it and praying about it, he decided that this message would be a blessing to anyone who would hear it. And of course, read about it. Also, I feel like I should mention that Val had told Frank that his book, Saucerama, could not have been written without heavenly guidance. Ah, yep. interesting. Okay. Quite, quite the review yeah. of your book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad Valiant uh, Thor is really, 
just kind of <laughs> validating everything this man has to say. Yeah, I wonder if he actually put that, like future future printings of that book, if he actually put that as one of the reviews like Valiant, of his book. And <laughs> the package is Valiant Thor. Could not have been written with that. Yeah, oh my God. So he went out of his way just to search for this one guy, okay, this Frank Strange guy, just to tell him about Jesus stuff and saucers and whatever. I'll get into, this isn't the last time he meets Valiant Thor. Okay. So I'll get into it a little bit more. He also kind of has a message for him. Okay. All right. Continue on. So Valiant Thor had orders to stay no longer than March 16th, 1960. And after that initial three years were up, Val had to leave the Pentagon, presumably also the planet never being able to accomplish his larger mission of helping heal the woes of the people of Earth, to which the government officials worried out loud to him would actually cause economic and societal collapse. Also, apparently religious leaders were very worried about losing their grip on the masses. Yeah, this is kind of my theory. If they were hiding aliens, this would be why, because so many people's entire existence revolves around their religious beliefs you know what i mean yes definitely yeah and i mean really i mean that would be a hell of a shift i mean it it does kind of lend to the theory that they're slow feeding us aliens just to kind of you know if they would have just automatically in the 50s just kind of blasted us with it society might have collapsed but if they said it now it might you know go over a lot more smoothly but who knows there's still a lot of crazy people out there very very good point phil Now, having failed his mission on Earth, uh, he actually did have one last meeting with the president, which did not go well. So on March 16th, Valiant left the Pentagon. He transported himself back to his spacecraft, which was still parked in Alexandria, Virginia. Lifting off of the ground, apparently the Air Force would actually scramble jets to try to keep him from leaving. However, Val and his crew actually did make it off the planet. Though Frank did mention that he was still in contact with the female government worker at the Pentagon, Warren, and some other good-hearted people on this earth to help spread his message on this planet. Mm, Very convenient. Um, So how did the Air Force think they were going to stop this guy who literally travels in this spaceship from Venus? Yeah, I... I don't know. I mean, maybe it's mm. just kind of a, you know, gut reaction. Apparently, this spacecraft, Frank was saying, has some kind of force field on it, too. So it's not like you could really even shoot it down. Because he in his in his book, he did say they had their force field up. So it kind of sounds a little Star Trek-y. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that was maybe like the Holy Ghost force field. Uh, judging by his story, that was the power of the Holy Ghost. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. So though Val had supposedly helped with a lot of the medical technology that the scientists come to him with, he would never give the U.S. government any of the real tech that they had actually wanted, either from his spacecraft or the golden metallic suit that he had worn, though it wouldn't be the end of his contact with Frank Stranges, as Valiant Thor would leave Frank with a mission, and this was to spread Val's message to the people of the Earth, as Val had to leave, and he trusted Frank with this task. 
Frank also claimed that Val told him that this task would not be an easy path for him. People would be standing in his way, and to be careful with whom he trusted, as they might even threaten his life. He's really making himself quite important. Yes. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, he, it's, yeah, he, now his speaking tours are a mission from a supernatural being. Yeah. Yeah, not just a speaking tour from some dude. So now he has the speaking tour where he can talk about aliens and the word of Jesus Christ on top of it. Basically. Yes. Okay. He's getting a lot of feathers in his hat. Yes. Yes. He's covering a lot of bases. Definitely. Double dipping into the uh, fandoms there, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, this gets him into like, like we mentioned before, like these churches, a lot of, he's a, he's not only Dr. Frank Stranges, but he's also like a reverend too. I don't know how many of these titles are self-appointed, but. Probably all of them. Yeah. Uh, there is a part kind of where his story falls apart at the end, which I will be mentioning. Okay, can so, we hear it? So Frank claims that when Val returned to the Council of Central Control, which I think is part of the High Council, uh, he reported on the U.S. government officials not taking his advice and all of the interference that he had encountered while in Washington. The council would actually give him a new mission, and this was to mingle with and become as earth people to work and labor in earth enterprises to help those who encounter possible threat or danger while striving for world peace to give guidance and advice to entrust with superior knowledge to those who have proven themselves and to divulge the essence of their mission to the collective leaders of earth on when the time was right okay. after valley oh. okay and sorry no no go ahead no, no. it's just uh Wow, I don't even know what to... It sounds like a hippie. Yeah, it. he definitely does. I mean, it kind of feels like he turned into Jesus a little bit. Yeah. Himself in this, you know, with this mission. He went from like this leader to now he's more like a, like kind of like a religious figure. Maybe he returned to Earth, did this stuff, and then incidentally created the... Uh, hippie culture of the 60s could be yeah well especially you'll you'll hear kind of where he landed out he lands out in the west coast Uh well not quite the west coast but he lands out in the desert out there so okay yeah after valiant and his crew left frank claimed that his presence on earth and his message became a tightly guarded secret by the government also claiming that val had actually saved his life on three separate occasions the first time from a poison attack in 1967 in Germany. This was seven years after Frank's first meeting with Val. This was when two men claiming to be from an Italian newspaper aggressively questioned Frank about Val. And uh, he was actually eating dinner at the time. They would poison his soup while he had left the table to answer a phone call. His interpreter actually got him back to the hotel where he had actually had like a mixture, like an elixir kind of waiting for him. Apparently, Valiant Thor had given this elixir to the interpreter. Uh, Obviously, I don't know exactly if he knew it was Valiant Thor or not, but apparently this interpreter was a medical student. So that obviously helps, I guess, with being poisoned. Apparently, his first thought wasn't to get him to a hospital. 
it was to just kind of, you know, mix up this powder in water. So why wasn't his first thought to telepathically send Frank a message saying, don't eat your soup? Yeah, you would think that would be what I wanted. Mm. If I was Val's friend, I would want telepathic messages telling me to get the fuck out of there. Don't eat the soup. Yeah, fucking Mario and Luigi there (laughs) giving him a poison (laughs) mushroom in his soup. Jesus Christ. Spaghetti flying out of their pockets. (laughs) Yeah. So seven months later, Val invites Frank to tour an alien spaceship off the coast of Mexico. This is where... Val's crew actually show him kind of like a, a wide view screen. This has real-time images of Bobby Kennedy being shot in California. Wow. So they're showing him a goddamn snuff film. Basically, yeah. Wow. Uh, there's kind of this thing where Bobby Kennedy is actually friends with Valiant Thor. Ah. And Valiant Thor tells him, don't run for president this this coming election. Run the next time. But Bobby doesn't listen to him. And it get, you know he gets shot. Because, oh, obvious, I didn't tell you this. Valiant Thor is able to predict the future also. Ah, okay. That's, yeah. All right. It's a, it's, a, it's a little something I probably should have went into. But Valiant Thor has the ability to predict the future, which is why he was able to know that he had to give the interpreter that elixir to heal Frank. Interesting. Okay. I mean, it's kind of implied that he, you know, could tell the future. But all yeah. right, now we know for sure. So, again, a few years later, Val actually saves Frank's life a second time. This is when government officials in black suits abduct Frank. They beat him up in the outskirts of Las Vegas desert. Luckily, though, two of Val's crew members actually pull up in a white Cadillac and fight off the attackers. Jesus, this sounds like a fucking Las Vegas Raiders game. Um, (laughs) Like, Jesus Christ. Ah. Interesting. All right. Well, so Val, he's a Cadillac guy. I guess. I okay. guess his, him and his bros right. are Cadillac guys. That's just kind of <laughs> how they do. I imagine it's like uh, kind of like the old 70s movies. Like it's a pimp mobile a little mm, bit. Mm-hmm. I imagine one of those. Mm-hmm. But uh, some of the websites that I was reading took this thing about the black suits to be men in black. I, so, I mean, that that's what I assumed you were implying. But yeah, I don't know if Frank actually like says it any of his speeches or whatnot. He just kind of says men in black suits. He like government men. He never really says men in black, but I think some people like imply this is men in black. So gotcha. Okay. So there was actually a third time, the third and final time. So basically Frank and his new wife were in a vehicle and they were ran off the road. This happened when a car materialized right next to their vehicle Uh, This injured Frank very badly, and he was actually paralyzed. Though, at the hospital, Valiant Thor actually showed up, and he used his healing powers to cure the paralysis. Okay, um, hmm. If I was at this point, I'd be like, Valiant Thor, I would assume he thinks Frank Stranges is, like, literally... You know how they say children are essentially trying to kill themselves? Yeah. It kind of sounds like Frank Stranges is, like... Constantly at death's door, and Valiant Thor has to be his mom who comes and saves him constantly. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the the whole situation. Um, anyone who has like a toddler is basically saving their life multiple times a day. Yeah, kind of deal. Yeah. yeah, keeping them from sticking their fingers in the electrical sockets and you know all Things sorts like, of shit. Yep, yep. Yeah. 
So Frank Stranges actually continued to write books, give speeches. Uh, he even published a monthly newsletter titled The Interspace Link, which promoted greater understanding of universal spirituality. He would actually die November 17th, 2008 in Van Nuys, California at the age of 81. I do wonder if Val had actually told him the date of his death so he'd get ready for it. Yeah, he could have. I'm surprised he didn't save his life that time. Yeah, I I mean, 81, I imagine he died of old age. So but that's he was still, a joke, yeah, but... Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, he stayed pretty... It sounds like he stayed pretty active in the uh, the UFO community up until his death, because gotcha. that's when he was publishing that newsletter, so... Okay, all right, not that long ago. Definitely. So Frank claimed that Valiant Thor actually lived in a flying saucer just outside of Las Vegas, parked next to Lake Mead. And uh, that's basically where he and his crew, along with other spaceships from around the world, would monitor the planet and the people living on it. Though I'm not really sure if uh, the Victor One, which is the name of Val's spacecraft, is actually still there. So his name's Valiant Thor and his ship's named Victor One. Yes, his ship's name is Victor One. Yeah. Well, maybe the new Raiders stadium was built Right on top of... Uh, right on that yeah, spot. Yeah, and yeah. all the aliens are n- underneath it. Definitely. Well, just like a fucking uh, Denver airport situation. Could be. Could be. Yeah. There we go. All right. Unless, well, you'd have to look around for uh, all those phallic paintings, like that one <laughs> dude was saying in the documentary. Oh, he says there's dicks everywhere. Dicks everywhere. Yeah. Dicks. Phallic okay. paintings. Well, if you're in Las Vegas and you see a lot of dicks... Be on the lookout for Valley Thor spacecraft. <laughs> Dicks will so, lead your way, all right? <laughs> they all just point in the same directions, just kind of leading you. <laughs> so there is uh there's there's a couple of people who actually like have claimed to have proof. Um I didn't really uh, this podcast is long enough right now as it is. Uh and I kind of have a long thing at the end here. So I'm gonna go through one really quick. She sounds kind of like Maybe she might have some firsthand knowledge. This would be Laura Eisenhower. She's the great-granddaughter of former President Dwight D. Eisenhower. She claims that she knows for sure that Valiant Thor was living in an apartment at the Pentagon. Now, However, she is perhaps not the, the best, most stable ex- expert. Uh, her website lists her as a global alchemist, researcher, and intuitive astrolo- astrologist. Sorry. Also, she claims to be an advocate for UFO disclosure and believes that the government is actively covering up the existence of ET on the planet Earth. Uh, she actually does have her own podcast, if you want to listen to it, called Cosmic Gaia and a website by the same name. Okay. I'm pretty sure we've mentioned her. I think we mentioned her on the other episode, I think. Um, but, yes. But yeah, she... I hate to say this, but sometimes these people sound like they wrote ride the coattails of their famous relatives. Um, this yes, could be her. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I she mean, could be one. Yeah. It's we wouldn't know anything about her unless she was the great granddaughter of Dwight Eisenhower. So yeah. it's kind of one of those deals. I don't know exactly. I mean, she does have the podcast. She's I mean, I don't know. I've never really heard of uh, her being like a big figure 
in the the UFO disclosure movement or the community, you know, you don't really hear much about her unless they're talking about Valiant Thor or her great grandfather. So right, yeah, you you really don't, do you? No, not really. Hmm. So I mean, I'm going to. I actually kind of found something that was fun. There was a review written about one of Doctor Strange's speeches written by a professor who was working at the University of Arizona at the time. Uh, <laughs> he actually wrote this letter to the editor of the Tucson Daily Citizen in 1968. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of fun. In the past 20 years of public puzzlement over the UFO problem, there has appeared a wide and wild variety of claims to relevations from the space people. Tucsonians were exposed on November 23rd and 24th to an annoying set of such claims when Dr. Frank E. Stranges delivered two paid admission talks here. To hear for myself what Stranges had to offer, I paid twice. As one woman near me on going to the November 24th told her son in disgust at intermission time, all he's done so far is to sell his books and pamphlets. One found the price of those latter items high and one found the contents a hodgepodge of Strangest's views on UFOs and many other matters. The lectures were delivered in good pitchman style. Banter, jokes, and audience polling, filling in between projection of slides purporting to be UFO photos. I bought $10 worth of his books out of sheer fascination for what I saw unfolding. But the real nub of all this centers around a spaceman from Venus, Valiant Thor, whose pictures were shown and who was obviously a very close friend of Strangest. Strangest assured his audience on November 23rd that Val was available not only to give advice on sickness and health, but also on financial matters. And how do you think that the troubled are able to get in touch with Val? You write to Val in care of Dr. Stranges at the same box number we heard mentioned a dozen or more times as a place to write for further information. All about the rest of Stranges' many other enterprises. Very interesting to say the least. After hearing all of this, I felt obliged to tell Stranges face to face that if I had not myself interviewed hundreds of witnesses in important UFO cases during the past year and explored the problem in many other ways. His presentation would have just about convinced me that it was all hokum. More to my present point, I'd advise fellow Tucsonians to see a good MD or lawyer, not strangest or valiant Thor, about any medical financial problems they may have. That was uh, James E. McDonald, professor, University of Arizona. I'm saying his name because he's probably dead now. Yeah. So, this is in 68. He so. Okay. So he did like a uh, professor he, roast kind of there. Um, kind of. But it yeah. kind of lets you into what he did during his speeches, which I had a hard time finding. It, he kind of sounds like a, like a 1920s, like a snake oil salesman. Oh, you guys talk absolutely. about the con men of the old days. Absolutely. He's giving, he's giving health advice, financial advice. Valiant Thor is always there for you. You know, like. It honestly kinda, sounds like fucking. I don't want to say any mo- motivational speaker now, but like. Um, who's the really popular, the guy who wrote The Secret? Like, uh, you know what I'm oh, saying? Yes. Or, yeah. or, or like. Like selling timeshares or something like you gotta come real, check this out. The real estate people at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like yeah, I can help you financially, but you gotta write a letter here. You gotta buy this book, you gotta buy this book, you gotta do this, 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 this. Yeah, yep. I Scientology, basically. He, right there. He yep. he cares quite a bit less about 
Valiant Thor and more about selling his products at this point. That's the impression that I'm getting. Yes. Uh, so there's also another little thing uh, I read kind of like um, basically like putting down this whole idea of Frank Strangis and Valiant Thor. Basically, between the time that he met Valiant Thor supposedly in uh, 5960 and when he wrote his book, he had actually given many speeches, uh, wrote in books, written books, and done a lot of things where he never mentioned Valiant Thor, even though he had known him for seven years. He never mentioned actually meeting him. So they were kind of saying it seems like he didn't actually come up with the idea of meeting Valiant Thor until the late 60s. It's kind of one of those deals. Yeah. So this would have been this this speech in 68 would have been when it was super fresh. He would have just started talking about meeting Valiant Thor and knowing him personally. And he immediately went on the offensive of Hawk and his shit. Yes. Yep. This uh, he would have just actually written Stranger at the Pentagon at this time when he gave this speech. Gotcha. OK, well, in Tucson, a horrible, I- horrible place. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's get down the brass tacks here, Phil. How do you feel about this story? Do you think there's validity? Do you think it's bullshit? What are you thinking? Before I did any research, but when I just kind of heard the original story a couple of years ago, I would have said, wow, that's really interesting. You know, supposedly Eisenhower's met aliens before, so I'll give it 1%. But I would have to say like 0.001 at this point. Because it's just, once I found out this part, about there being like a flim flam man kind of situation. I was like, oh, fuck. It's totally, yeah, it's not. Yeah, you got the flim flam man and then like the connecting God shit. And then yes. the this guy putting himself as like the most important cog, apparently, to an advanced alien who's coming to ver- Earth and wants to talk to him above everybody else. I yeah. don't know. Too little too convenient for me. It's just like a priest saying that they're your direct link to God is Frank saying he's your direct link to Val, who yeah. has all these superpowers. He heals people. He knows the future, you know, spacecraft, tits and all baby. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just it's yeah. just too fucking convenient. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sad truth, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. I, I think I'm right there with you. I think it's just sorry. I just think it's cool story but it's just too too many loopholes in it i think too many like you said you you nailed it perfectly of course the of course moments are too there's too many of them here yes all right well if anybody else if any if valiant thor wants to uh write (laughs) us or email us where can he do that phil well, he can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you know, haven't really gotten as many emails in the past two weeks as we had gotten in the past three months. So, you know, if you guys want to get a hold of us, that'd be awesome. Uh, what has been actually blowing up lately is Instagram. Uh, thank you for all of the the likes, the messages, everything. Uh, hit us up on our Instagram at subliminaldeceptionpodcast. Cody and I both have our own Instagrams. Mine is SDPodPhil. Cody, you got one? Yeah, follow my personal one at Cody'sAbub. I post memes on there, kind of funny memes. Uh, come check them out. The last thing we need you guys to do is to log on to iTunes, leave the show a five-star view if you would. It uh, doesn't really matter what you say, just something nice. You can call us idiots. You can make fun of 
us making fun of religion, whatever you feel like. Or if you're a Spotify user, you just click that follow button and it's very similar to the iTunes reviews and helps boost up the charts and helps get the uh, get the message out there, get the truth out there. Well, Phil, this is a beefy boy, but I loved it and I had so much fun with it and I'm glad we learned about Valiant Thor. Thank you so much. Yeah, as it was a, it was a lot of fun uh, researching too. You know, I listened to a lot of different uh, YouTube videos, podcasts, and you know, read up on you know, did a lot of research actually. Quite, yes, like, you did a whole week. It was it, this is the probably the longest script I've ever written. So it was great though. It's I loved very it. beefy. All right, guys. See you next week. Thanks, guys.